Welcome to SlayerFest98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today with me, I have my lovely co-host, Scooby, podcaster, writer, co-host of Queering Pop Culture with me, and a fairy gay mother, Dana Pickley. And we also, hello, we also have some incredible guests today. We've got senior writer at Vanity Fair, Joanna Robinson. Woohoo! We have Scooby and recently made Doctor of English, Kimberly Ann Southwick. And da, 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 star of the magicians, Summer Bischel. Yay. Hi, Summer. Hi. Uh, I am so excited to have all of you here. Joanna and I actually met doing uh, Buffering's live show. We did. And Joanna did a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of heavy lifting with quelling my anxiety of being on stage live at someone else's show. <laughs> it's easy to do that. It's just drinks. <laughs> just apply drinks, right? And then you'll get through it. yeah uh i was like a nervous night i was like a nervous nightmare backstage and joanna was just like ian you're fine you're fine (laughs) you were great and you were great so joanna also no he was texting me at the same time so he had like double duty trying to (laughs) calm his anxiety well he did a great job (laughs) thank you and uh uh summer came on this podcast because i happened to be watching the magicians and which is like Magicians and Shit's Creek are my two favorite shows on the air right now. And I was like, I feel like someone in the Magicians has got to be a big Buffy fan. And lo and behold, that's how I got Summer. <laughs> I also love Shit's Creek. <laughs> uh, so, Joanna, would you like to go first since you're a first time guest? And wait, give wait, us your... I'm sorry, Ian. I'm sorry. What? I just have to say one thing. What? Fuck this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this episode so much. Thank you. (laughs) And we're done. (laughs) Everyone loves me for having them on for this episode. (laughs) We're not at the episode yet, Dana. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Joanna, would you like to give us your Buffy origin? Yeah, since I'm 100 years old, um, (laughs) I, uh, I first loved the Buffy film uh like i used to watch it at like sleepovers when i was a kid uh so when i saw that the tv show was happening uh i got really excited and even though you know in retrospect season one is a little bumpy like i was i'm exactly i was exactly buffy's age when it was airing um and so i just loved it from the start and uh it was my number one it still is my number one show was my number one show i used to watch it live on air every week my dad used to watch sometimes which is uh really cute and uh and then there was a while when i wasn't allowed to watch tv on weeknights and a friend of mine get ready for how old i am a friend of mine used to tape the episode on vhs bring it to school so that i could like take the tape and watch uh the episode at home later so um that is my buffy origin story and joanne i'll have you know i think we're the same age okay because you're young all... though and i'm old so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we have people on the show that they're like oh i was two when it aired and i'm I like know. oh you're like the dust <laughs> in my bones oh no yeah. <laughs> um and Summer, <laughs> would you like to give us your Buffy origin? Yeah, my my older sister Sunshine loved the show. Um, I think it was like her favorite show. And she would always watch it, and I would just watch it with her. Um, and I, I got hooked. I loved it when it was on air. 
Um, I watched every episode live as well. Um, and I've since rewatched it several times. Uh, I love that you rewatch it. Also, so I'm going to say this since we said it before recording and you said you do look to it for inspiration. Before we started recording, I told Summer that I felt mm-hmm. that uh, High King Margot is very much Cordelia Chase with magical powers. And uh, do you want to tell everyone what you said said to that? Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree that there there are so many similarities in in the tone of Cordelia and Margot. Um, and also in general, the magicians and Buffy. And before I knew Sarah Gamble was a fan of of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I was sort of feeling that the tone of the show the tone of Buffy would be helpful for me in understanding the tone that, that I was endeavoring to, to play. Cause there's quite a lot of comedy, but drama as well. Um, and you know, the way Margot talks, it was very helpful to watch Buffy again. It, it's really been like a, a source of um, inspiration and, and homework for me as long as I've been on the show. That's cool. I I mean, it totally makes sense. I feel like any of the characters on The Magicians could kind of like be in the Buffy world and would fit very well into that world. Yeah. Yeah. So today we are all here to discuss one of the bleakest of the bleak season six episodes, Seeing Red. Um, Dana, do you want to say what you told me when I asked you to co-host this episode? <laughs> That I was reevaluating our friendship. <laughs> uh, like, I, I did not want to take this walk down memory lane. I I really didn't. Um, and I'm, I'm mad that I had to. And so there will be retribution. <laughs> no. <laughs> did you? Actually, interesting little fact about this episode. Did you know that this episode was leaked? Back in 2002, a week before it was actually supposed to air, it leaked and ended up on the intertubes, which, you know, were super fast in 2002. But um, yeah, it was like this this big deal. It got sent to all of the affiliates early and oh. then somehow ended up. So it was like this big mess of a situation before it even aired. That's wait. That actually makes a lot of sense because I was going to tell this story later, but I'll tell it now. Back then, because like, you know, it was still early internet days, right? I remember there was like a Buffy fan site. It wasn't the bronze forum. It was like a different fan site that I like loved that would have like, oh, this is a section where we have spoilers. And they had the entire, like almost the entire plot of this episode up. But I didn't look at it because I even back then I was like, no, I don't want to spoil it for me. I know a character is going to die. I don't want to spoil it. And a friend of mine had been like, okay, but show me what it is, because I want to read what character dies, because she had, like, casually watched it. We were at a shitty bowling alley in South Jersey that, like, where people were smoking cigarettes, and she got mad at me for something and said, oh, yeah, well, next week, Tara dies. Oh, my God. Of course. And I was fucking furious and did not talk to that friend for like two weeks until she messaged me on aim to apologize (laughs) um so i always think of this episode as like kind of like early on cured me of ever caring about spoilers because that was like the worst spoiler ever ruined for me ever (laughs) i was just thinking about that i when when i was looking into like some of the trivia around this episode the fact that it was leaked early was something that i read and then also you know just like looking at the credits the fact that this episode which features 
um, you know, the demise of one half of a lesbian couple and the sexual assault of a woman was written and directed by men. So (laughs) I was like, I guess what wouldn't happen in 2020? (laughs) Those things. So, yeah. Also, it was so Stephen DeKnight wrote it or he directed now I'm forgetting. I think he wrote it. And it was his last episode writing for Buffy. <laughs> and you know, poor James uh James Marsters was very um troubled by yes. this whole episode and has and like to this day is still very um it like it was an agonizing episode for him to do. And he's he's talked pretty openly about that and how initially um and we'll obviously talk about this, but the the assault scene, it was inspired by what had actually happened with a female writer and her boyfriend and how she was trying to um, get him back and and tried to to, um, you know, as I, I don't know if she has assaulted him, but like it, it, it like it initially come, came from this her like desperate attempt at reconciliation with him. But James was saying like. But you 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 make that spike doing this to Buffy it 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 turns it into this very different situation, and I don't think it's even something that I fully grasped until I was older, like how serious that that scene is. Yeah. Yes. Wait, we will get to that scene because <laughs> so the episode is all a trick. I feel like especially the opening because so we open on a very happy recently reunited willow and tara right and i it's the most lovey and like openly sexual they're allowed to be they were ever allowed to be on the show aside from the musical where it's like i don't know i don't know i don't know dana what as well yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes yes what you're saying is true but not just for for buffy and i mean joanna you're you're in 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 television media like you you you've probably researched this quite a bit too but as far as i know that was one of the most intimate scenes ever allowed between two female characters period up until that time on television um yeah i mean i certainly on um like you know uh non-cable television um yeah and it's uh your your description of it is a trick and yeah there's something very like even more mean-spirited than some of the mean-spirited stuff that like has happened in the Whedonverse in the past is this like sudden reconciliation, this inclusion of Amber Benson's name in the main credits and the way in which this whole episode like positions that, that relationship and, and like Dawn is the audience surrogate being so excited they're back together and all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. It feels, feels mean, uh, honestly. So, yeah. Right. And I just, the, oh, so, well, wait, I forgot to mention, when my friend spoiled it for me, the website had the wrong episode for Tara dying. It thought she died in Villains. I Like, I don't know where they got it mixed up, but so, like, she said that, like, the day before this episode aired, but once I saw Amber Benson's name in the credits, I was like, shit, she's gonna die, because Joss had said so many times that uh, in the pilot he wanted Jesse's name to be in the credits, Eric Balfour, but like they couldn't afford to do that. They didn't have the budget, but he always wanted that to be like a trick where like someone's in the credits and then they die. So, and I had read that quote so many times before that I knew I was like, oh my God, she's going to die. But I thought I was like, oh, she's going to die next episode is how I went into that. And I was wrong. But yeah, I like, I get them being like, oh, we wanted to like, 
I don't know, like give her a nice send off by having her in the credits. But right, it just all feels like a trick. Yeah, I'm curious if like if Summer has any thoughts on I don't know, like from inside uh, a show, if you have any thoughts on like something like that where it's a you know you want you want to surprise the audience but at what point do you do you like does does your audience deserve a heads up i don't know if you have any thoughts on that um well it 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 felt kind of mean to me as well um because they start with an example of of real healthy and close intimacy and it just devolves into this like illustration of toxic masculinity I mean, even when Xander is angry at her for not telling him about her personal sexual choices before the sexual assault, obviously. Um, yes. You know, that's toxic. His, his expectation, and I love that character, but his expectation that her sexuality be transparent to him is not healthy. Um, so there was this lovely opening where there was healthy intimacy. And then we're really confronted with not only the sexual assault and the aftermath of that, but a lot of really trauma-based responses. And, um, you know, even, you know, and, and the way Spike deals with it even after is, you, you know, no accountability, um, blaming Buffy, blaming everything and everyone around him. Did you say you like Xander? I do like Xander. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Just making sure that that's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I, I don't like him in that moment. You know, lots of times I always say, I think I think I said this when we did Buffering's live show together, uh, Joanna. I think I said, like, I defend all the characters, even Xander sometimes. But oh boy, I think like this end of this season, he's so awful and it's hard to be like, oh, I love all these characters. Yeah. Like, and like you, it's hard watching him be so awful with all of the women in his life, like all of them he's being super terrible to. And it just, it, it feels like yeah. he did shitty things prior, but this is like, ugh, right? Well, it's tough because you mentioned, um, you mentioned that this episode feels like a trick in that in the way it, it positions uh, Tara and Willow. And then it's also a, a bit of a trick, not to like jump too far ahead, but it's a bit of a trick in terms of what they try to set up with Spike because you feel like Spike is off to get his chip removed so he can go full monster, but it's the reverse. Right. So that's like, that's a big misdirect that they start laying the track for in this episode. And then this, this season ends with, Xander saves the world so I don't you know because he's such a good friend to Willow so I, I don't know if like Xander's intense toxicity is like serves a purpose like is leading up to him having this big moment at the end of the episode I mean like I I have my issues with Xander throughout the series some some episodes he's great some episodes I'm like why but why are they even friends with him um but I don't know if that's you know it seems like that was a, a tactic that they that they took in season six was a lot of these misdirects like like uh prizing uh surprise over uh, you know, maybe completely consistent storytelling or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I often talk about how I used to watch the show with my mom. Um, and I remember this episode 
because I, I I mean I wasn't out yet because I was a lot younger. I remember like so I would watch in my room on my small TV. My mom would watch in her room because my mother, as Kim knows, is very that Puerto Rican mother who loves to talk all the time and she talks through every show she watches, even if she loves it. Um, <laughs> so we weren't allowed to watch it together because she would talk to me the whole time. But I remember like going into her room after this and her saying like something along the lines of like, she felt bad for not liking, I mean, it not saying these words, but like referencing that she didn't love when Tara and Willow like went down on each other singing, but now she felt bad for thinking that because she was so happy they were back together and her being like, oh, I, I feel bad ever thinking that like they, I'm, I'm glad they're back together. We need a happy couple on the show. And you know, then it's like, oh, well, I do love that Tara immediately tells Willow that they've been sleeping together, which feels very um, relatable when she's like, oh, they've been sleeping together. She like blurts it out. And Willow's like, no, not that. And then she's like, nope, literally they've been sleeping together. She told me. But the thing that Tara does here, which, so as as most of you know, I have a lot of feelings. I like got emotional when Tara's being tender to Willow's reaction, but still being tender about Buffy's secret and still being tender about the fact that she told her secret, right? Like That's because Tara's... Tara was tender. Tara <laughs> was a tender angel baby who did she not was. deserve what happened to her. <laughs> she was. I'm just like, God, she's being sweet <laughs> about every aspect of this. When Willow is like, I'm just trying to figure it out. And Tara says, so is she. Like, oh, God damn it. I was just going to say, every step of this episode just, I mean, I, I have not watched this episode in at least a decade. And I, oh, really? yeah, and every moment of this episode just makes my blood boil, you know, like, because, because of so many of the reasons that we've already stated, but I just, it, it, it sparked something in me as a fan that, um, like, that I have, it was the most painful thing that I have ever experienced as a fan, this episode. And I think it really informed the way I watch and view TV from then on and really sparked my eventual career as a critic. But like, I, I mean, I, I was even in a, a documentary and talked about this and I, it, it's oh, right. still, it's still like so hard for me to, to, to like wrap my head around the reasoning for so many of the things that happen in this episode. Um, but that's, that's all I was thinking. Sorry. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we get this very cute scene and then we cut to Buffy. She's been, the last few episodes. She's been kind of um, researching where the like trio is hanging out. So first it was, I think, Warren's basement. But um, then they just have been like house hopping since then. This scene is kind of uh, this scene is like very feels very classic Buffy to me. Like it's like she goes to this house. It's abandoned and there's something absurd, but they draw attention to how absurd it is. And I just, I don't know, I really like her fucking jump through those fucking buzzsaws. It really did it for me. <laughs> that was the entire budget for the episode was that CGI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't, even, it didn't even look that much like a stunt double, I don't think. <laughs> Not the case later when she's fighting in the hat, but maybe the case there. <laughs> so, yeah, then we get the credits, then we see Amber Benson's name, and then we get, oh, wait, oh, yeah. Wait, so we should talk about Dawn. I think this is the episode where Dawn starts being way more likable. And yes! I, at least, 
I always defend Dawn, but right, I think she's v- very much more like yeah. in this yes. starting in this episode. She she handles this entire episode in such a cool, mature, like interesting way. Especially right? how she deals with Spike and Tara, Tara and Willow's reconciliation. Like absolutely like becomes a person that instead of this little sister that's been kind of bugging us all up until then becomes like a real part of this this journey for me. Right? Yeah. I agree. It was the episode that she sort of became likable to me as well. And I like the way she handled that conversation with Spike. Yeah, it, it's just, I don't think we they would have written her that well, like earlier in the season. It feels like she would have been yelling or crying, but they do a good job of, you know, yeah. and you're right, Dana, it is kind of the audience. She's like being excited, but like she also, I don't know, it's it's very nice to see Dawn be so excited for them and she doesn't make it about her. She just is very like, this is great. I'm happy. You're a happy couple again. Um, and Drew Greenberg, who we had on earlier in the season, who is an out gay writer who used to write for the show, said that it was like very important to him that when he wrote scenes with Dawn and Tara, that they were like very loving and affectionate in a familial way because he hadn't seen that much of that on TV with like a younger character and a gay character who wasn't actually a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought about that, like him saying that a lot in this scene too, because that's how, you know, that's kind of how Dawn is like. It's like, her like cool moms are back together, right? Right. Her most consistent, um, you know, parental figures right now are Willow and Tara, you know, because Buffy yeah. can't be that for her. So, yeah. I thought it was interesting that a little bit later uh, when he goes to visit Spike specifically, can we jump to that or should I wait? We'll, we'll get there, Jim. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so then we get uh, the credits and then we cut to um, Buffy's come back home with some of the books that are like cut up. Uh, her and Dawn are kind of talking. Willow and Tara come downstairs. And it's I, I, it's cute the way you see Buffy notices and she knows and she smiles, but she doesn't like blow up their spot, really. She's just like, cool. This is what we're doing. They're back together. Cool. She's like a very good friend in that way where she like knows it, but like doesn't need to ask like, oh, are you back together? And I actually wouldn't have minded if we got a few episodes of these four as the main Scoobies. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I feel, you know, that it, I feel like it just would have been more graceful to have the reconciliation a couple episodes earlier and have Amber Benson's name in the credits for a couple episodes or something like that. Not because I needed a ton more Tara. I like Tara. I'm not anti-Tara, but like, it's not that I needed more Tara. It's that, you know, I, I, this I'm I'm rewatching Lost the TV show Lost right now for a podcast that I'm doing and whenever someone dies in their flashback episode I'm like no you can't do that you can't do it the same <laughs> episode you know so like uh, just give us a little bit of breathing room to to ramp up to that I think when in um earlier when Jenny when Jenny dies that's the same episode she and Giles like sort of start to reconcile yeah. so it's only that they've yeah. done before and so I'm just like give it a little bit of breathing room before you then pull the rug out you know yeah yeah it, I mean there's a couple of times especially this season when I feel like we needed to like let it sit but they do like a lot of plot and then there's a lot of like stretches of like we could have had more of what we had before but we rushed everything like I always feel like there could have been more episodes of the Buffy bot being in place of Buffy Buffy could have been resurrected like four episodes in or something like that. I don't know. There, there are a couple times this season when I feel like they give a little too much all at once when they could have let it, like you said, let it simmer. 
yeah, so then where else are we, where are we now? Oh, oh, when <laughs> I did put in my notes, seeing Dawn so happy for Willow and Tara just hurts my feelings. <laughs> oh, and then so then we cut to uh, they're saying how like, oh, Xander's not really like in the mood for research. Oh, Spike isn't going to be coming around. And then we cut to uh, we, we cut to Anya with uh, like person. She's going to cast a wish, a spell on her, a wish. What? A vengeance. She's supposed to yeah do the vengeance demon thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what are words? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I actually <laughs> love that scene, and I felt like, God, is uh, is Anya like Anya's being very like gay man because she's making it all about herself, even though she's there to help the woman at the bar. Isn't that Anya's? Isn't that Anya's mo though? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and it's the only scene we get of Anya, but it is. I like. I forgot. I like I remembered Anya saying these lines, but in my head this was in season seven, like at the beginning. I don't know. I, I like her like she's kind of recapping everything. The thing I always wonder about, and I'll be curious what you all think. I'm not sure that the show my biggest issue with season six is I don't know that the show knows quite what it's saying. Like I don't know, like they portray Anya and she's correct in most of the things she says when she's like, and then he proposes to you and then there's an apocalypse and blah, blah, blah. He says he doesn't want to get married, even though he proposed. Like, I feel like the show kind of wavers between like, oh yeah, Xander's a dick or like, oh yeah, feel bad for Xander. I think it wavers too. I mean, it's just sort of like, I, I mean, I agree with the kind of the prize was the surprise. And I think that like they kept fluctuating who these characters were to like, keep it interesting and keep the ratings high. And it's frustrating. I think for this, for this show specifically, like this episode specifically, we have the great parallel though, between Anya at the bar and then Xander at the bar. So I feel like, that's maybe why we get that Anya scene more than anything like larger in the season. But that's me just reading the episode rather than reading the season. But I think it works for this episode. Like the power. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I think a show would be at its best if it allows us into, as you say, like with Tara finding tenderness for Willow and for Buffy and for herself and stuff like that. Like the show is at its, any show is at its best when it forces us to consider multiple worldviews to, so to like, the best version of the script is that we're sympathetic with Anya and we're sympathetic with Xander in our, in our own way. Um, and like, I get, I almost get there with Xander. Cause he'll say stuff like, <laughs> I get why Anya did it. I get why she did that. And you're like, okay, Xander. And then he's like, but not you Buffy. And I'm like, ah, right. you, you lost me. man. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's, he makes it really hard uh, in this episode, but I do think, I think throughout the series, wants us to be on Xander's team. I'm just not always where the series wants me to be. You know what I mean? How old are they? They're, I think they're like oh, maybe they're 21. 21 is what I would say. I wonder, sometimes I wonder if I'm looking at the show like with my 30-something-year-old self like emotions <laughs> and not realizing these are like 20-something-year-olds in the show, you know? Like what 20-something-year-old yeah. like white yeah. straight dude like Xander like isn't a dick like that to his female friend Buffy who he used to be in love with maybe slash still is question mark <laughs> exactly I feel entitled to I mean like the parallels there's parallels between Xander and Anya but like I I think the bigger parallels are like Xander and Spike in their own way and their like possessiveness of Buffy yeah. and then I feel like Xander and Warren 
are like closer than is comfortable, honestly. So, you know. <laughs> Joanna tweeted that earlier. <laughs> I really do. I think that Xander, without Buffy and Willow in his life, Xander would have become Warren. Like Xander is so <laughs> close to being the kind of beta male that would like be in the trio, uh, you know, were it not for a few things going right in his life. You know? <laughs> but he gets that add to like, like Summer was saying when he's like, when Summer was saying when he was like, Buffy's like, you know, my, my what I do with my private sexual like life is none of your business. And he's like, well, it used to be. And I'm like, no, he never was. He never yeah. was. Not with Angel, not with anyone. Not your business. Not with Riley, not your business. So <laughs> So I now I'm gonna give a little bit of a defense of Xander. Like I put in my notes where I almost got only because in the context of the show, Spike was a murderer, right? Like he murdered a bunch of people. And like he was their villain but i mean now i'm jumping ahead but like as buffy said they fought with spike spike babysat dawn like like it i could see being like oh my best friend's sleeping with a murderer and she didn't tell me i may be feeling some kind of way but i really don't think xander's upset about that right like if that were the thing i could maybe understand it more but i don't think that's the reason he's upset i I don't mean to be like the the like head of the i hate xander parade because like (laughs) there are times when i do like xander but uh i also feel like an element of it for xander is like he has always wanted buffy he has always wanted her and he gets so mad when she picks anyone else over him be it angel or riley or whoever parker but like when he's (laughs) like oh you would sleep with spike before you'd sleep with me spike like really (laughs) uh angel i get but spike and and that that's that's what I wrote in my notes is I was like, Xander's most mad because Buffy picked the murderer over him. You know what I mean? That's my feeling. That's my read off of Xander's episode. Once again, I know I, I don't have the most charitable reads of Xander. I get it. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I find, I find it not a totally uncommon thing that whenever I've had friendships with, with straight cis, cis guys, when I was, especially when I was younger, they, they often felt this entitlement to me. And, some of the the things about me like a almost like um i don't want to say like an ownership but like it was different than the way that my my straight cis female friends were with me and i i see that in xander i see this like this thing where he feels that he has this this like place in their world that maybe is overinflated Dana totally like one of the things that this episode brought up for me was when I was in my 20s when I was in college and I had broken up with this one guy and got together with this other guy because I had like you know back-to-back boyfriends a lot of the time back then um (laughs) nothing wrong with it (laughs) this one guy and I like got in a fight once like one of my friends and he was like I was next oh I mean we we stayed friends you know like that was like someone who was my friend and like I was aware that he felt that way so like, yeah, like this this episode totally brought that back up up for me. Oh, I have to say, Kim, when you started that story, I was like, "Ooh, did I say something shitty after she broke up with her boyfriend?" Then <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, I definitely didn't say that." <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, Joanna, you're I I do agree with you. Like he this, for me, the entropy and this episode, he's just the worst. 
And it's funny because I feel like the thing people get most mad about at the podcast is they say like we hate Xander too much. And I'm like, oh, oh. boy, they're not going to like the last half of season six. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll cool it then. This will be my last uh, anti-Xander. I mean, Xander <laughs> Xander deserves the, the shit we're giving him right now. But yeah. in an episode filled with odious, odious men... I'm not even sure if like Xander is topping my list of of assholes right now. <laughs> that was like one of my questions, which is why when Summer said that you know she she was a a fan of Xander in this episode, like I wondered like who's to- like whose toxic masculinity is like the worst? You know, like can we or I mean, like Warren, do, right? does it does it matter? Like, is there a right answer to that question? Like, is that something that we should be like? things we should be like pitching against each other or not like or is it all just bad and they should all stop so i, I don't know that was just something i was thinking about towards the end of the episode because we get like you know war and spike and xander's toxic masculinity and you know does xander redeem himself at the end question mark i don't know that's that's the thing about this uh, i'm sorry that i keep getting tempted to talk about like the season as a whole but like that's that's my whole thing about this season is like so this is the season i'm sure you've talked about this that like you know, uh, Joss is busy working on Angel and Firefly. And so Marty Noxon is like the de facto showrunner for the season, even though she and Joss were in close collaboration with all the major plot points. Um, but you can, once you see what Marty Noxon's uh, work is post Buffy, you see how much, you know, because um, she worked on like what stuff like sharp objects um, to the bone, like, like she loves the darkness so much more than Joss. And so it makes sense that this is like such a dark, dark, don't look away, dark season. Um, and, uh, oh, I started my point and I forgot how to finish my point. But like, um, I, ju- I just think that that's, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I didn't like season six when, when it was airing, when I was watching it. And I didn't like it for a really long time. And then I was thinking about, I wrote an essay about this a couple years ago during the anniversary where I was thinking about how prescient season six is when it comes to its villains and the toxic masculinity and how like the trio uh, are so ahead of their time in terms of the uh, type of masculinity we explore with stuff like Gamergate and everything that came after it. Um, and a lot of what we're seeing in like online maildom and stuff like that. And so for that reason, season six has my grudging respect for really being ahead of the ball on that. Um, and, some of it's like feminist, like easily digestible feminist stuff feels stale now, but like the Warren of it all and even the Jonathan of it all, like swept up in the Warren of it all, um, still feels like really, really strong to me, given what we're all like still in the middle of uh, when it comes to uh, the way that a certain kind of uh, frustrated, sexually frustrated, felt like he's denied things, uh, male behaves. And if this episode brings a lot of that to the fore not just for the the three of them but for the other male characters as well right yeah i think that's actually a really good point i text i texted him earlier today to be like hey like is there what did i say i like kind of like asked you that right kim <laughs> like what the like if it's like because it the nuance here is like they are explicitly saying that like the men are being toxic. Like every man in this episode is toxic, right? And I think the writers know, like they're explicitly saying that. I don't think it's like, oops, we made toxic male characters. But also like the women are still having to experience all this drama because of the men's toxicity and the men aren't really getting 
any like br- like the only thing the men experience seems to be like oh we feel guilty because we did a bad thing some of them but yeah your point right, was like is it is the toxic masculinity confirming to- toxic masculinity as something that like does exist like is and therefore is it perpetuating it or is it like just bringing it out in the open and i i mean i was like i don't know <laughs> both <laughs> I think, I, yeah, in, in the absence of Giles, like, the only good guy we have in this episode is Clem, and I will I would die for Clem, and <laughs> I, just, I just need, I need to say thank you for giving us one good man in this episode, his name is Clem. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to talk to Summer about, um, you, I mean, you're on a show with heroes and villains, and I would love to know your thoughts on the mm-hmm. trio, where you would rank them in Buffy villains, and like I just I, I I'm really curious as to your thoughts, especially on on Warren um as as this villain. Oh my god, Warren is the worst. He's the worst villain by far. And then probably Andrew, just because he's so complicit. Um and then I like Jonathan. Yeah. I feel bad for Jonathan. <laughs> but at the same time, he's not objecting to any horrendous thing, so you know, it's funny that you mentioned Andrew's complicity because uh, one of my like regular co-hosts, uh, Latoya, always says that she hates Andrew and she thinks people overlook that he gets the same redemption arc that Spike does and he doesn't even have the excuse of not having a soul and how that like really pisses her off. Right. And watching this episode, I, I actually noticed that for the first time. I was like, wait, like Andrew explicitly says, kill her when they're fighting, when he's fighting Buffy later. And it's like, he's only doing it because he wants to, like, yeah. hook up with Warren, who is terrible. And, like, I have I have very bad taste. But, like, <laughs> even so, no thank you. <laughs> like... <laughs> and poor Adam Bush. I have I never been able to look at Adam Bush since this at, at, and I not know. just be in pain and i mean i mean as a person i he does i'm sure he does not deserve that but he did such a good job at making this character so just grotesquely terrible yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm an andrew fan in this episode particularly like i feel like we get some like a little bit of comic relief with him yeah no and i i do like i mean you know i think andrew does really well as like the part of the group that they all make fun of and is kind of like just there and annoying them in season seven like i actually enjoy him but like watching him in this episode i'm like oh but he really is like it would make sense if they all hated him and never forgave him right like yeah it's tough because there's so many like isn't that what anya doesn't anya get that too like that's a that's a, it's not just like a a spike thing but yeah andrew andrew does just because tom link is so fun and so needed and so you're just sort of like oh what if andrew's part of the gang now uh that's fun (laughs) right i mean i think think the same thing is true of the same thing is true of jay's marsters it's like all of those actors are so fun to watch that you're like uh let's just bend bend the story a bit so that they can just hang out all the time please thank you You well and then that that's going to bring up something super interesting and something very complicated about Buffy and that is what happens with Spike and Buffy because so many people love Spike and then you sit and you watch this incredibly traumatic scene between the two of them and it it changes things and that's very complicated for a fan 
So wait, before we get there, <laughs> I so then we we after that scene, we do get Dawn going to speak to Spike, which I genuinely, again, think while Dawn just doesn't know what happened, right? Like she doesn't know that Buffy and Spike broke up and that Buffy broke up with him and that he had every right to sleep with Anya. And I, I like that she, she has a mature conversation with him, doesn't she? Yeah, this is the conversation I wanted to talk about. I, I feel like she sees, I don't know, she, she seems like a kid, but she also seems like adult in, an adult in that moment, which I really respected of her. Like she's treating Buffy and Sprite breaking up like I would have treated my mother and like a boyfriend that she liked breaking up if I were like able to actually have a conversation with her about something like that, which I don't know. I don't remember. I had a lot of emotions when I was a teenager. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, I I just thought that was such a good scene. And I wondered if I, if I felt that way when I watched it the first time or not, I wasn't sure. Uh, Dana, did you, what'd you think of that scene? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's one of the moments that really endears Dawn to me from uh even back then because i I wasn't always uh, as a as a grown person now i'm a big dawn fan Uh, back then i wasn't so much but this is one of those scenes that really endeared her to me because she does care about spike and she's one of the only people that has consistently cared about spike and she knows that the two of them have this connection and it's confusing especially when you're only i mean her whole world has been flipped upside down, you know. I mean, in the in the short time she's been a you like know, ten a human, times in the a human being, her, yeah. her yeah her life her life is in constant flux. And one of the only things besides Willow and Tara that has always been there for her has been Spike. Yeah, that's true. And he and he does he protects her. He protected her like unabashedly cared about her and protected her. Right, like so you understand why. Like oh yeah, of course she cares about him and loves him he actually was there for her and i i don't think he he had respect for her as well i think like he didn't treat her like a delicate flower that couldn't do things the way buffy kind of did did spike treat anyone like a delicate flower (laughs) (laughs) fair (laughs) and it's so annoying because i do feel bad for spike in this scene but, like, I forget that I felt bad for him at all just because of, like, you know, where it goes in the episode. But, like, I can remember, I, I remember how I felt watching this episode. Like, this is one of those episodes where that I, like, very much remember how I felt. And I felt like, I remember watching it and being so annoyed because I wanted Buffy and Spike to be together. And I, like, felt so bad for Spike. And I was just like, no, like, they need, like, he's allowed to sleep with Anya. Like, I, for me, I was, like, very, Spike and Anya are allowed to have sex. Like, what? What is everyone's problem? And then, you know, what happens, what happens later? And then it's like, well, now I don't know how, like, what? Like, now I think he's an asshole. Like, what? So, so again, that's where I go back often in this season of, like, what are they trying to say? But I guess you're right, Joanna. Like, it, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> Summer, is that you? <laughs> is that you? <laughs> Making a drink. <laughs> it's that time Getting of the episode. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's just La Croix. Gotta hydrate. Okay. Delicious. Have you have you tried the new hibiscus flavor? Sorry. Okay. Oh my god, no. (laughs) But I love cherry lime, tangerine, and mango. That's good. Nice. I'm a I'm a coconut stan, even though everyone hates me. Yeah. I I don't like the 
coconut. Pure passion fruit. That's me. Oh no, peach, peach pear, baby, peach pear. Mm. <laughs> mm, that's a good one. I've had the coconut when it's sorry, sorry. This is my last. This is my last Lacroix comment, and then I'll be done. Uh, or I'm, I'm going to start say it like Summer does and say Lacroix. Um, if you have the coconut very, very cold, like a martini, if you have it like super cold, then it's good. But other than that, I can't <laughs> like a martini. I mean, I, I like a lot of coconut water, but I'm I'm not into Lacroix. I don't know why. Joanna, I like that this is your Lacroix slash Xander podcast oh. now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Ian, when do we get to talk about Spike and Buffy then? I'm not. I don't have your 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 notes in front of me, so I'm just waiting because I know we all want to talk about this. Too. We're going in order, Dana. Uh, <laughs> what's left except for like Buffy out doing normal <laughs> vampire stuff? I feel like so, we well, everything else. We get the trio, which I mean doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah, the orbs. We get the trio. Yeah, they get the orbs because we in the episode before this, they were talking about their master plan. And this is their master plan is to get kill these whatever nonsense demons that look like little blobs. Wear the skin, get the orbs. And I, I thought it was Andrew yells that was so hot when Warren kills one of the demons with the power. <laughs> And I can remember when I watched this thinking I was like a master sleuth. Like I thought I was Veronica Mars and I was like, aha, he has to be gay. As if that like wasn't what they were saying. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I've, I've detected the subtext. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've it's the Figured text. it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost feel bad for like the things that I like about Andrew's comic relief because it's like so obviously like... I'm, I'm like, am I allowed to think this is funny? You know? <laughs> You're allowed to. <laughs> All right. I have Dana, what do you think about that? Um, I, you know, at this point, I sort of blacked out because I knew it was coming. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> I have no notes regarding this situation because I did not care. So then Buffy goes to see uh, Xander, and I'm sure Joanna's going to circle back because, oh boy, did Xander fucking piss me off in this scene. Because Buffy is being so fair. She is being so fair and so calm when she has every right to, like, smash the fucking table and be like, fuck you, I'm leaving. I promise I'd be done bashing Xander, and I will stick to that promise. (laughs) (laughs) I have equals gross next to that scene. I'll just say that. I think I just put oof. Yeah, my Xander is like, Buffy goes to visit Xander, oof. Buffy is fair, Xander is dot dot dot, not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, then I, like, my notes here are, like, basically, like, what I said earlier, like, it would be okay if he was just, like, this is dangerous, you're sleeping with a murderer, but that's not his way of thinking. His way of thinking is, like, like Summer said earlier, his way of thinking is, like, you owe it to me to tell me who you're sleeping with, and, like, no, she doesn't, and she's allowed to sleep with whoever the fuck she wants to sleep with. Ah, Xander. Um, mm-hmm. so I do, but I do. I will give this scene credit for being well written. I think I don't know, uh, Kim. I was actually curious about you because, like, I don't know. We're friends that have grown up together and have fought before, and like, you know, we went through our early twenties. It does feel like a real like friends that are growing up and kind of like for me, it feels like they're friends that are kind of growing in different directions. Is how I felt. Um, I mean, of course, they stay friends because that's the show, but it did feel real to their characters and to two characters who have like, are like at different points in their life. I don't know. I don't know either, which is a bad answer. <laughs> I think I was just so put off by his toxic masculinity that it was hard for me to, you know, put on 
again, like take my thirty year old or however old I'm I older than than thirty that I was I, like, You're not thirty girl. <laughs> thirty something year old brain and like put my like okay, like how how could and it's a different time period. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was just hard for me to forgive him even though I know that he's younger and it's not twenty twenty. Fair. So then we get somber guitar music. They're all oh wait. Summer, what did what did you think of that Xander Buffy scene? I mean, you kind of talked about it already, but like, do you have anything else to say about that scene? Their confrontation, I just thought, you know, his entitlement was, yeah, it was just out of control, his entitlement. And I don't think she combated it enough, but, you know, like someone else said, it's, it's, you got to remember it's not 2020, you know? I mean, the the entire episode was, was hard to watch for me because, you know, I'm starting to think about trauma in general differently. And I'm reading this book, Heart Wounds. And um, the way that trauma is, is handled in, in television, specifically television in, the, in those days, is just really frustrating and harmful, um, you know? Buffy, after she's sexually assaulted, is just expected to just power through. And she does just power through. And that's great and strong and everything like that. But it's it's not really like, it's not a great message to send to trauma survivors because powering through isn't more strong than grieving what's happened to you and calling it by its name. And at no point in that episode was was the sexual assault called by its name. And how are you supposed to heal and grieve from something yeah. if you don't identify it by its name? And it's just frustrating um, to watch an episode that so poorly handled trauma in general and then also have all of these other messages like in the confrontation with Xander and Buffy in which he feels entitled to know everything about her sexuality and, and demonize her for her sexuality. And then she feels like she has to be apologetic in the end after she's endured a a sexual assault. Instead of him consoling her, she's apologizing to him in that final thing. Yeah. I was, no, no, no. I was going to, I was going to agree with you that like the fact that, Buffy ends this episode apologizing to Xander yeah. is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. So. <laughs> exactly. That's when you know it was written by two guys. <laughs> and brings us back to Ian's question to me earlier about, yeah. like, you know, I, I think Summer Dancer does give a definitive answer to my, like, I don't know. Like, is this toxic masculinity, you know, unveiled? I mean, it's quite obvious. Or is it perpetuating it? And I think, you know, Summer's argument is that, yeah, it perpetuates it because of the way that Buffy has to act, because of the way that it's not named, etc. And because of how the littler scenes, like the scene that we're talking about between Sander and Buffy before the assault, like, perpetuate it as well, in addition. It's and and knowing what we know about the rest of Buffy, it's like I can forgive a show for not like fully grappling with sexual assault if if the sexual assault plot line will is planned out to sort of ripple through the rest of the season the rest of the series you know like the trauma is ongoing um but that's not really i feel like what happens here and like um 
I'm sorry, I forget which one of you said this earlier, but like, yeah, when I was, when I first watched this in college, I don't think I would have called this sexual assault. I didn't, I didn't, I was like so uneducated that like, you know, yes, Spike did a bad thing and he feels ashamed and Buffy doesn't trust him and like he crossed the line and all of that's true. And I think it was only later in life where I was like, no, he's, he's sexually assaulted her. Like that's a sexual assault. I mean, that's obvious to all of us on this call now, but like, you know, when I was younger and watching this it, and, and Spike was one of my favorites and Spike is still one of my favorite characters. And I will talk about sort of like how my like flimsy way in which I justify that. But like, um, like our conversation has moved so much around trauma. And I really feel like the pivot point came like, Oh, I think it was like five years ago, Maureen Ryan wrote this great piece in variety, just to sort of about like how female trauma, female sexual assault trauma, like, can we make, can we stop this being a go-to plot point, you know, to get, um, to get something across. It's not to say we need to ban sexual assault from our screens because obviously this is a thing that happened and we should grapple with it, but like it needs to be there for a reason more than just like shock value. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I mean, so yeah, we're there. Spike yeah. walks into her bathroom and I, I, Joanna, you make a really good point because I, I know that Watching this when I was in college, I remember being very upset, but I, I think you're right. I don't think I would have called it that back then because I don't think like we thought of it the way like we just didn't, I don't know, like what you said, like it, it wasn't 2020 and we didn't expand the conversation yet. So I don't know what I would have called it, but I know that I was upset, right? Like I remember having trouble getting through the rest of this episode after watching this scene because it was so fucking upsetting just, and I mean, James Marster, when he came on this podcast, he talked, he did talk about this and said that this doing this scene sent him to therapy. And I, to his credit, he said, it sent me into therapy, but that's not a bad thing. Therapy is a good thing. Um, he did like, he, he had the right words to express it, but I also could see how it would be really upsetting because they both do. I, I mean, to, to whether it's good or bad, they're both like definitely doing like they're acting in this scene. They're definitely selling what's going on. They don't like make it a like funny joke, but again, I still would have preferred just not have it at all. I would prefer we never had this scene. I was just going to add in that it cuts to commercial and cuts back to the scene. Yeah. Not that I had to watch a commercial when I watched it on whatever streaming service I watched yeah. it on. It was just like terrible, but sorry. Yeah. Ask Summer a question. <laughs> Summer, I was just going to say, uh, I, I really liked what you said that like, it's okay to not power through it. And I think that's a really important point that the show doesn't quite land on. They don't really, because they really don't. Buffy never mm -hmm. really talks about this. Except for in the finale, like uh, Xander does yeah. say something to something stupid to Dawn about like, oh, well, after what he did to your sister. And Buffy just never really talks about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's important that people know, you know, okay, yes, of yeah. course it is strong to power through, but it's also okay not to. Yeah, I don't know. I... I, I appreciate you saying that. I thought that was really well worded. <laughs> yeah. And I think powering through is, you know, a longer path because you're going to be walking around with a broken leg until you identify it and deal with it and feel the emotions related to the trauma. And it would have been nice to see that explored over a season. Something as important as sexual assault be explored for, for longer than an episode. Yeah, and right, like, that happens often in TV, I think. 
not to reference your own work, but like the (laughs) the magicians does a really good job of being like, oh, this fucked up thing happened. And yes, we're going to talk about it for the rest of the season because it is a fucked up thing that happened, especially in genre shows. They tend to be like, oop, a a fucked up thing happened. Maybe they're upset for the episode, but then we're we're good. We're going to keep going, you know, and maybe next season someone will make a line about it. But that's usually kind of it. You know, yeah. I even think of like a show that I love and I love the show, so I'm not trying to like, bash it, but the show One Day at a Time did a really well done episode of the main character going through like a really depressive episode, but it literally is just like all solved in one episode. Um, and I think that's often TV can fall victim to that trope of being like, oh, it's a it's an episode about the trauma, but we're not going to we're not going to do it. We're not going to reference it again, well, even though that's like not how that works. What's interesting is that, like, this whole season is about yeah. Buffy, the trauma of Buffy coming back from the dead, right? Like, that's that's what this whole season is about. And so, like, Buffy does have space sometimes to hold trauma longer than one episode. And But this was a t- real turning point in television because, like, Buffy is coming right at the time where, like, uh, you know, it's before DVRs, but soon we'll have DVRs and soon we'll have DVD box sets and then we'll have streaming and like we ingest television differently and you can have, you know, you have fewer stories of the week and you have more serialized storytelling and stuff like that. But Buffy is really at a turning point uh, in television that way. And so like sometimes it's good at that and sometimes it's not good at that. And like the imagining the power of Buffy channeling her trauma of this encounter into her fight with these three toxic men who are who have been like plaguing her all season like that sounds so incredibly powerful in concept that they just were not interested in executing the sexual assault is almost a footnote in this episode in fact um jane espenson who's a who's a writer who i really admire who did a lot of great work on buffy and other shows that i like she's like well we needed something to like push spike on his journey and i was like okay so this is about spike what about how it affects buffy and 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 what you know what this is for buffy and and the show just seems completely uninterested in that which is insane because it is called a buffy the vampire slayer (laughs) that's the name of the show you know i'm thinking about uh mad men for some reason um i don't know how many of y'all have seen that but there's one character joan who She's not necessarily sexually assaulted, but, um, you know, it's set in the 50s and she she does a sexual thing to to gain something for a larger group of people. I don't know. I don't know. Spoilers. Ah. Um, you can you can spoil an old show that's been right, off the fine, air. Kim. I'm sorry. I'm a crazy <laughs> person. But yeah, so she like goes and like has sex with this dude so that like the Mad Men company or whatever it is can like you know, I guess get some sort of gain and she gets something out of it. Like and she is this kind of like she comes out of this like scarred, but this like stronger female character. And uh, I mean, the writers are obviously trying to say something about the time period, right? Cause this is like written in the 21st century about like the fifties and the sixties, maybe just the sixties and seventies. Um, and so I wonder about a show like Buffy being written in a time period that is its own time period where, like, you know, we can look back at this and we can say, yeah, okay, the show doesn't do this, but, like, did did we do this? You know, if this would have happened to, if one of our friends right. would have been sexually assaulted like that, like, would we have treated it that way, like, at that time period? And I think, you know, our own 
reactions watching it back then or Ian, your reaction. I mean, I was a little older. I streamed this. I didn't watch it live as my origin story. Um, like that's kind of just how things were treated back then. Like you maybe were depending on your audience, your friends, like people who found out about it, like you kind of were expected to power through up until very recently, which is why maybe some of these more recent shows set in recent times about recent times, you know, do understand the sort of mountain that it should be and they don't molehill it. And there, it's just so messy with Buffy and, and like, uh, sorry, really quickly for your Mad Men point, um, Joan, that character gets raped by a man and then marries him in an earlier season of Mad Men. Like that's how, um, like dicey the sexual dynamics are in that, in that time period of, of that show. But like in, um, in the Buffy verse, it's interesting to me that, um, the Spike and Buffy relationship, their sexual relationship is a violent combative relationship, right? They go from fighting to sex um, on a continual basis. And like, that is their sexual dynamic. And so the fact that that is a confusion for the scene for Spike, because he's so used to these fights turning into sex. This is, this is me 0% excusing anything that Spike did, but that is a very like messy, interesting thing to explore that the show just does not feel up for. You know what I mean? Like that is, that is part of this scene. That's why it is part of why this scene happens, but that connection really isn't, uh, I think fully landed in the way that it needs to be. Ian, I wanted to address what you had said earlier about how Buffy doesn't talk about it. And I think that that's something that we as, as like women, maybe I'm hoping things have have gotten better, but I mean, I, as, as a young woman, that's intimate partner violence, sexual assault, things like that. There was a lot of onus on us, the person that was being, you know, perpetuated upon. And I I can't help but wonder if, if Buffy is feeling that, thinking to herself, I'm st- I'm super strong. I have super strength. And how yeah. this this how could this happen to me? And right, yeah. when you're just a person who isn't like Buffy, I mean, that that the the weight of that, it wasn't something that was was talked about. And it's it's still extremely hard to talk about. And so seeing knowing that Buffy struggled to talk about it actually makes it feel much more human to me. No, yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I think it does fit Buffy's like personality. Like, she has very loner, I'm the hero personality. Uh, but I think more I meant, like, the show doesn't stop on it at all. It was more like the show itself doesn't talk about it. Like, the show never, I don't know. For me, the show needed to give a little bit more, like, holy shit, rather than just, like, cutting commercial and going into, like, she fights Warren. And we don't see her, I don't know, I, I don't, and again, you're right. Like, I'm I'm a dude, so feel free to tell me, if I'm like incorrect, I, I feel like the show doesn't portray her. It doesn't like, it, it does make sense. Yes. As a woman and as like the Buffy's personality that she wouldn't really talk about it, but we don't like, we still have moments. They, at least in the beginning of season six, as Joanna said, we get moments of her depressed and like, maybe she's not like sharing, but she's at least like, we see that she's depressed. Even if the Scoobies are very knowingly oblivious and for me, that's weird. That like that's the thing that like we don't ever, because like after this episode, we start to get more 
we get villains, you know, then Willow turns evil, and then it's, like, all more, like, slightly more uplifting. Like, you know, then Buffy's like, I need to train you, Dawn, and, like, I don't know. that That's the thing that's weird for me, is that they don't, like, pause on that, but we spend a whole season like she was understandably depressed from coming back to life right well and then also but i guess no, we don't just not pause here but we never return to it except for that one moment with xander in the finale someone pointed yeah. out i was thinking about um sex education a netflix show that i that i've been watching and there's a character that's sexually assaulted and like it takes her a while to realize what happened so in the beginning yeah. she's like i'm fine whatever whatever but then like a couple episodes later like you can see it like her trauma like slowly building and then finally it kind of bursts out and so you know even if they'd done something like that it would have been it would have been a nod to both what i think dana was just saying and the, or sorry i wasn't paying attention to who was just saying that my bad um and then also what you're saying ian too about them like never stopping on it and i mean summer you're on a show right now like what do you think about that i mean i think like like joanna was saying i mean it was a different format back in those days. Um, you know, there's there's so many streaming services and different ways of consuming television that storytellers and writers can spend a lot more time slow burning topics like this. Um, and so I think in a way it did what it, it could do in the times that it was in. Um and there is something to be said about um, disassociation with any sort of trauma, whether you're a super hero girl or an ordinary girl. Um, I think the symptoms are the same. And, um, you know, I think it would have been interesting. And I think you do see Buffy disassociated from coming back from from um, being dead in the beginning of the season. She's more withdrawn and disassociated. And perhaps um, that's why she had the relationship with Spike, um, uh, you know, to, you know, to have more sensation seeking and um, to feel more, more alive um, through sensation seeking and risk taking in a way he's risk taking. Um, and so you can sort of see how she, she could be disassociating as early as the beginning of the season. Um, but it, it would have been nicer to see that, you know, in a slow burn throughout, but we didn't because I think it was a very different time as far as how, um, how shows could tell these types of stories based on the co consumption of television in those days. Isn't it also, isn't it crazy that we can all agree like, oh, it was a different time back then when it like was still two th like in the 2000s. That's yeah. like mm -hmm. so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you're all right. Mm -hmm. It was, but it's crazy that we yeah. like, that's something I we know. have to say. <laughs> One thing that was interesting that I was reading about uh, around their like intention around this episode and this act was that, was that the, um, the writers were like a little perturbed by how much the fans like loved chipped spike and they were like they really wanted to underline the fact that he was mm. the bad guy right a bad guy and yeah. th that uh that um 
once you know that it's a little obvious in this episode there's just like several explicit lines where he's like maybe I, I maybe i still got a little bit of the evil in me or like whatever or xander says like you know he's not he doesn't have a soul he's got a leash in his head they put a leash in his head he doesn't have a soul you know so it's like don't mistake who this guy is for like who you're romanticizing him to be um and i just i thought that that was that was in, an interesting thing that they felt like they needed to underline. And that I will really quickly say is, is a reason why I am able to like, like spike after this episode is that if we can still, if angel can have a spinoff show after he as a vampire literally kills like Jenny calendar or whatever, then like spike, you know, spike does not have a soul. He's, he's, he's a monster he's a he's Mm -hmm. and something that i was reading i was reading i think it was david fury one of the writers on the show was saying is like actually spike without his soul is the most humane vampire in the universe and there's and then he said that has something to do with who he was as a person as william and that he that he was able to hold on to more of his humanity than a character like angel or drusilla or darla and um I just thought that that was really interesting. I'm not, I'm not excusing or trying to defend what Spike does here. I'm just sort of like, okay, if you put it in that context of like what Spike does here versus what Angelus does, uh, you know, when he's Angelus, you know, and then how we're able to still go on a journey with that character, that, that to me allows me to still be invested in this character, but I can yeah, understand no, why I... some people aren't. I do get that. I, I, yeah, no, I, I love a spike. I mean, I don't love him yeah. in this episode by any stretch of the means. And there are definitely some other moments that I don't like him, but you're, it's okay. Yeah, I, I Joanna, I actually, the second thing people get most mad about is how we talk about Spike. And I'm always like, no, I love him. I just know he's a problem, but I still <laughs> love him. Like, <laughs> And for me, that's like what loving Spike should be, right? Like, you know, he's a problem and you acknowledge it, but it's like, oh, but I still love him. Like, yeah, I don't know. For me. Uh, and you're right it's like in the context of the show we have to accept that a soul is a real thing we have to accept that it does change you etc etc i still wish they hadn't done this but yes <laughs> um everyone so, wishes they hadn't done this but yes are we, are the we... actor just makes yes. him so, so the, the... yes yeah. right he does yes and what's funny is when james marster was on with us he did say that he kind of cheated and always played Spike as if he had a soul. Like he was like, when I auditioned with Juliet Landau, I played it like Spike loves Drusilla. There's like not, it's not just they kill people. It's like he loves her wholeheartedly, is in love with her. And like he was always like, yeah, I always cheated a little bit and played it that way. Eh, I don't know. I, but so <laughs> moving on from <laughs> that terrible scene before we get to the next terrible scene, um, Buffy finds the trio robbing an armed car an armed van outside of i think it's in la a great adventure in la um buffy and warren have their super powered fight which we are going to be doing a reading from uh (laughs) narrating the screen directions will be joanna playing andrew will be kimberly ann playing jonathan will be dana i will be playing warren and summer bischel will be playing buffy (laughs) And go, Summer. You really got a problem with strong women, don't you? Nothing I can't handle. Buffy ducks his first swing, and then second, the second catches her in the face. They exchange a few blows, and Buffy goes down. You seem a little off. This a bad day? 
It's getting better. Buffy grabs the large metal door that Warren ripped off the truck and hits him with it. He stumbles into the stone gate. Hard. That all you got? He looks up a moment too late as the stone gate collapses, a pile of stone and rubble falling right on Warren's head, engulfing him. No! There's two ways this can end, and right now, I'm thinking they're both going to hurt. I think you're right. Buffy turns around to see Warren emerging from the rubble. What's the matter, baby? You never fight a real man before? Buffy and Warren exchange punches. Wow, that almost hurt, kitten. Warren grabs her and slams down on her arm. Kill her! Kill her! You know who I am, huh, Slayer? You're a murderer. Well, that too, but more to the point. Buffy swings at him. He blocks the punch and backhands her. I'm the guy that beat you. And it's not the muscles, baby. It's the brains. I'll remember that when I knock him clean out of your- Suddenly, Jonathan leaps onto Buffy from behind. Whoa, Sparky. I didn't think you had it in you. Close on Jonathan and Buffy struggling, Jonathan mutters into Buffy's ear through gritted teeth. The orbs! Smash his orbs! Buffy throws him off, Warren lands a punch that sends her falling against a park bench. The bench breaks into pieces. Say goodnight, bitch. Warren pulls his fist back for a final punch. This pulls his jacket back, revealing the pouch on his belt. Before Warren can move, she lunges forward, grabs the pouch, and slams it against the ground. Blue light flashes, Warren looks dazed, Buffy stands up. Goodnight, bitch. Buffy knocks him out. (laughs) That was so good. Everyone was great. (laughs) Everyone did a great job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was fun. Summer, you killed it. I... <laughs> um, so I, I have to say that scene feels very, that whole scene feels very classic Buffy to me, right? Yeah. Like if it weren't mashed between a sexual assault and a yeah. death, it would be like, oh. <laughs> it's season three all the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it still yeah. like, feels fulfilled. Like I don't know. I, I think about I think about that line of her being like goodnight bitch and just like kicking this like douchebag across this like and I don't know. I I love that part. And then, you know, so then they fly off in their jetpacks and the thing that Buffy always does really well is uh, it draws attention to its own absurdity. So like when he reveals the fucking jetpack and flies away and she's like, Oh, come on. Like <laughs> That feels perfect to me. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. And uh, Andrew knocking himself out. Perfect. Perfection. And uh, uh, the, you know, the obvious metaphor of like her smashing the balls. Uh, yeah. Perfect. The delicious Buffy. <laughs> there it is. How did, how did the doctor of English not get that until now? <laughs> Kim. <laughs> yeah. Summer, what did you think about that fight scene? I mean, I thought it was very empowering. At least it was a moment of empowerment for Buffy after an entire episode of not-so-empowering scenes. Um, and then the comedy was <laughs> was also like a welcome invitation after, after the heaviness of the entire episode. And I particularly liked the um, final moment where he goes off in his jetpack and it doesn't work. And I also liked the setting in the amusement park. I thought that was a cool setting for a fight sequence. Yeah, Buffy doesn't often give us like new sets for, especially for fights. So I like when they, it's not just like a uh, abandoned warehouse or a graveyard. It's like, oh, this is a new set. 
Yeah, I know. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I can I talk about really quickly before we get to like the last upsetting thing? Um uh, an overlooked crime in this episode and that is I know it's not new to season 6, but like every time I see the new bronze, like the the CW bronze, I get really upset. Uh, and miss and miss the WB bronze. Uh, <laughs> I was like, "What is this shitty douchey? Yeah, early aughts bar, and where's my like co- like dark corners and like <laughs> under like teens getting served alcohol or whatever was happening yeah. in the old bronze, you know? And like letters to Cleo I, playing on stage. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I referenced this tweet so many times. I don't even remember who tweeted it, but I remember someone saying something about like when Sabrina first came out and it was like, all of you keep like ragging on how dark Sabrina is. Did you not watch Buffy season one when it was lit by one single candle? (laughs) (laughs) Cause like, yeah, totally was. So then we get Xander and Buffy have their talk at the end. We pan back to Willow and Tara happy in Buffy's mom's bedroom. Um, and as soon as I saw Tara in that goddamn blue sweater, I was like, no, fuck. It's like, I I, I had like a reaction just seeing her wearing that sweater. I was like, Ooh. Dana. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to speak on this scene? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. For fuck's sake. It, it is the... It is the pinnacle that we now refer to uh, for barrier gaze. It, 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 I mean, I I can't remember ever being so devastated by the death of a fictional character. And I, and it, because of the way it follows that trope and because of the way that it so perfectly executes the trope, um, happiness usually, uh, involving some sort of intimacy than death. Uh, which we see over and over and over again. And it just, it's, it's so hard for me to like watch nowadays. And it like younger me can't even start to think about it. You know, at least I have some experience behind me. I have some, some, some distance, but like younger me watching this, I mean, I thought, I thought like my heart would just like fall out of my chest. Yeah. I, as I said earlier, I remember like me and my mom watched in separate rooms and I was just like sobbing and ran into my mom's room and she was also sobbing. (laughs) And it was just like both of us crying about Mm -hmm. Tara getting shot and my mom being like, no, but Willow can bring her back to life. Right. Like I remember my mom say, she was like, it'll just, she'll be fine next episode. She's in the credits. And me being like, no, 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 that was a trick. I'm positive. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Joanna. Yes. God. I know I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about this. Um, what do you think about uh this end? No, I mean, uh you're right that it is like almost textbook bear gaze. Like this is like this is where <laughs> whenever and it's happening I think with slightly less frequency uh uh on TV right now because I think um you know hopefully we have kicked up enough noise about how this is like an unacceptable trope uh in in television but um that 
every time you know it happens let's say on like the 100 or the walking dead yeah, yeah. or whatever it is i'm always like okay uh, and let's talk about this through the lens of tara because that is it is forever through the lens of tara what happened there especially you know as we started this episode especially the way in which they like made it so mean <laughs> in the way that yeah. they did it uh in in the the brevity of the reconciliation the uh the sensuality of the reconciliation all to pull the rug out in a way that like i mean uh, buffy broke my heart for for the first time in forever when jenny calendar died that was like my first experience with like uh, a heartbreaking right. tv death uh, that will forever be the number one for me but there is a reason that tara has like a larger place i think in the cultural conversation um it's because buffy rightly got a lot of cookies for being so groundbreaking in in terms of lgbtq depiction and then like really burned a lot of that goodwill in in one in one decision here so which is not to say that like gay people can't die it just like has to do with you know as you all know, like just how it's executed and, and you know, with what intention. Okay. I'm going to have no one kill me. I'm going to have my slight defense is only that I thought barrier gaze was if it was to help advance straight characters. And if there weren't other gay characters, you don't think, I, that, wait, you don't think it advances as advances Xander's storyline. Tara's death. No, I mean, I guess, I guess it, like he helps Willow, but I think it advances Willow's storyline more. You don't think? Well, you're you're talking about fridging more than you're talking about burying your gaze. Fridging, right? So, fridging oh, okay. is is more the death of a woman character to advance the the storyline of a male character. Um, but barrier like the, the barrier gaze is is more um, uh, happiness equals punishment. Okay, and especially okay. like uh, overtly sexual happiness, right? Yes, like, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, and this was yeah, like the first time they were like naked in bed and being like cute and happy but like back to what but back to what i was saying though ian like i mean xander ends up being the one that 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 changes the solid and stops stops essentially the end of the world so in retrospect yes i mean her death sets in motion his 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 mm -hmm. you know retribution his 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 way to be the hero for once that's fair yep okay <laughs> Summer, do you have any thoughts on Tara's death on this so fun thing to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was so informative listening to you guys talking, but I mean it was heartbreaking and and I I never understood the point of it. You know, why'd she have to die? I mean, so that Willow could go, you know, self-destruct and turn evil. Like it felt cruel. And I don't think I was aware of, of, of the sexuality when I was watching it because I was pretty young. And I don't, I don't really remember the landscape of, um, you know, what they were showing on television there. But I think that relationship was probably one of the first that they were showing. And then to just murder her, it's pretty messed up. I mean, they did murder her. Yeah, I forgot that she was like inside. Like, it's not even like she was, like, they were all out in the yard. Like, in my brain in this episode, like, they're all out in the yard together. And, like, it's not yeah. this, like, ricochet yeah. through the window, like, you know. Yeah. The whole the whole aspect of Barrier Gaze, which is that um, gay characters are more expendable than their hetero counterparts, is so mm. underlined by the fact that she and Buffy get shot in the exact same spot 
right on their bodies. Oh, true. And Buffy yeah. lives and she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like that's Whoa. that's fair. Well, and that was another thing <laughs> you know? too. Like I was thinking about the end of this episode and how we don't know what happens to either character at the end, but like you know. Right. Yeah, you know? it's like Buffy, so you know, and you know, yeah. she already died once. They're not gonna. I mean, Buffy has like super healing, so like you know, I'd right. give her an advantage over another person, obviously. But like, it's still like, it's 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 interest. It's so interesting to me uh, that they put the bullet hole in the exact same place on them. You know what I mean? That's I, Joanna. That is a really good point that I genuinely hadn't thought of. Is that they do? You're right. It's like like exactly like xander's compressing that same side on her and mm-hmm. yeah and i mean to allison hannigan's credit though she really oh. really breaks your heart she's tremendous. right the, something yeah. that um you were she's mentioned so the buffering good. podcast something that they like to say that i completely agree with is like when allison hannigan cries i cry yeah <laughs> and, like she's yeah. she is extraordinary in this in this reaction yeah I mean, I say this all the time, but I think especially the women on Buffy are, like, so underrated with their acting because, yeah, I think um, Alison Hannigan and Sam Michelle Geller are such, like, incredible TV criers. Yeah, only Claire Danes beats them. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, okay, well, now we're at, now that we've reached the end of this very fun episode, um, (laughs) we are going to give... Our favorite things of the episode. Uh, Kim, what's your favorite outfit? Ugh, I had such a hard time with this. Usually there's one that like jumps out at me. But I will say at the very beginning when Buffy's going through those like, uh, oh, I should know what they are. My husband's a carpenter. Like bandsaw, saw things. Yeah, like buzzsaw things. Buzzsaw yeah. there. Who knows? I don't know. You know. <laughs> um, And her like iconic red jacket gets like sliced. <laughs> I noticed that because that's like that's like an iconic like I have a red jacket and I'm like my Buffy jacket my Emma Swan jacket you know <laughs> um, so I noted that at the beginning and like was hoping I'd come up with something better but uh, that was it like that was that was important to me that that Fair. jacket got torn so I don't love that it got torn but because it was iconic and got torn I'm like all right this is my favorite outfit all right uh, Dana what's your favorite outfit my favorite outfit is Tara wearing only the sheet the top sheets (laughs) i was hoping those silk sheets were like cute matching lingerie so that could be my favorite outfit so like yeah sorry to interrupt and and agree i just no it's my also i do want to point out did you notice that they're red i did not the sheets are red (laughs) oh boy um joanna what's your favorite outfit um, Buffy is wearing when she's patrolling in the graveyard. She's wearing like a <clears throat> like a tan turtleneck and then like a jeans jacket with she like a, is. a shirling collar sort of combo that I don't know. I really loved. Um, and then she gets kicked by a pile of ashes, but like she looks great <laughs> going over that gravestone. I think. Uh, Summer, what's your favorite outfit? I loved the red leather jacket. Yeah. Um, not to be lame, but my answers are. I said it was a tie between Buffy's red leather jacket and Joanna. I loved her like beige-ish turtleneck yes. with that denim jacket. It just it's a good look. She only wears it for like wear. love it. She wears it for like two minutes, but I love it. <laughs> um and favorite scene, Joanna. 
Oh, um, okay. Because I was trying to find like a, a, a bright spot, a levity in this episode. Um, I'd say it's got to be like Jonathan wearing the demon skin suit, right? Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of like re- pop culture reference singing back and forth. They say like skin job and like a bunch of other stuff uh, in that in that scene. So like the trio and their little ball heist, I guess, is my favorite scene. Ball heist. <laughs> 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 Dana, what's your favorite scene? Favorite scene is when Dawn realizes that Tara and Willow have gotten back together. Hmm. Kim? Well, that was mine, but I have other ones I didn't mention, so I will talk about one of those. I like the scene where they're the trios like at the bar, and we get these, like, I'm, okay. I'm going to go with a comical moment. Um, we get, like, the, the Star Trek Next Generation reference, where he... Hmm. Where, uh, He's like, I forget which character that didn't write down. It's like, he's Picard, you're Diana Troy. And that I like LOL'd at that. And then Andrew's holding this like comically large cocktail during this like fight yes. that Warren's having. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a tropical like, drink. It's yeah. a whole like orange round in it. Yeah. It's yeah. Like the whole time, like he doesn't yeah. put it down. So the, the combination of like just these like little bits of a, a humor we get in that scene, I, I would say would be mine. And uh, Summer, what's your favorite scene? The favorite scene, I think, was the humorous one, you know, in the end, when um, Andrew tries to go up in his <laughs> rocket launcher. <Yeah. laughs> My favorite scene, I I just love Buffy's fight with Warren and her saying goodnight, bitch. I think it's, like I said, that reminds me of season three Buffy or early seasons Buffy, and I just, ugh, perfect. Um, now we're going to grade the episode. Uh, Dana, what grade do you give the episode? I averted my eyes from the screen as if I was worried that you could see. I'm like, Ugh. Um, uh, I give it, <laughs> I give it a D for death. Um, wow. Uh, a D for lesbian, uh, LD for lesbian death. <laughs> LD, go on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Joanna, what grade do you give it? Uh, um, like a C. I don't know, because it's not like uh, C plus. You know, because like there's some good writing this episode, just some frustrating writing in this episode too. So it's and some great performances, right? Yeah, so C plus. All right, uh, Kim. I'm going to give it a B minus. You know, it's not quite A material because there's some problematic aspects to it, as we discussed. Um, (laughs) Just a few. (laughs) But I think that those problematic aspects at the same time, while they maybe perpetuate toxic masculinity, do show us what toxic masculinity and sexual assault and the way that we reacted to it may have looked like during that time. So I think that in that way mm-hmm. even though it seems like something the writers are skipping over and definitely could have spent more time with um they're still illustrating like how a lot of people acted and reacted and and felt about it and there is some great acting um and some important like plot movements to an episode like cool. this so i can't totally can't give it less than a b personally and summer what's your grade i th- i think i i agree with you i think i would give it a b because it does at least try to present the issues as they were being talked about in those days. And, um, and there were amazing performances in this episode. 
They were very impactful performances. So I would give it a B as well. I feel a little better because I also, I give it a B minus is where I'm like a straight B minus for all of the reasons all of y'all said, I agree. And my grade falls on a B minus because the acting is really strong. Like Joanna said, there's some good writing, but there's some very fucking frustrating writing. So yes, I'm a B minus. Thank you all for joining me so much. I really appreciate, I really appreciate Summer and Joanna doing their first episodes being this not so fun episode to discuss. And Kim and Dana, as always, a pleasure to have you both back. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ian X Carlos on all social media platforms. If you want to follow our podcast, SlayerFest98, we are at SlayerFestX98 on social media. And you can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean. And if you like our podcast, feel free to support us on Patreon, where you can hear some patron-exclusive episodes. And uh, Joanna, where can everyone find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jerothis. Kim, where can everyone find you? I'm Kimberly and Southwick.com is my website, and I'm at Kim and Joe South on Twitter. Dana? You can find me at Dana Pickley. That's two C's, one L on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Summer, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at SummerVisual1 or Instagram, and my handle is Summary. Summer wide visual. Cool. All right. And uh, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>